Uh, before we jump into the message time, I just want to also acknowledge that um, the next three Sundays, there are events each Sunday that you might want to be aware of. The first one is next Sunday, November 6th. If you're newer to the church or you know somebody who's newer to the church and you would like to hear more about kind of who we are, uh, our mission and vision, how you might participate and uh, what it might uh, mean to become a covenant partner either soon or someday, uh, we'd love to host you for lunch. Uh, we just like to know that you would like to come, and so you can fill out a Connect card and just put Next Step Lunch, uh, or you can again go to our website. There's a button right on the homepage or on our phone app, uh, and we would love to just be able to have lunch with you next week and uh, just talk more about who we are as a church uh, and where we see ourselves going and how you might participate. Uh, the following Sunday... November 13th, right after service, is going to be a special congregational meeting, uh, and this one is just informational. Uh, we are in a season of uh, fairly traumatic and dramatic change, right? Uh, pastor Jeff is gone. Uh, we're still looking for an associate pastor of family ministries. Uh, our in income seems to be dwindling a little bit, so we're not sure about the timing of all of this stuff. Our building and grounds manager, Raul uh, uh, Trujillo, uh, resigned as well. Uh, anyway, there's a lot going on, and we know that you may have a lot of questions about what are we doing about this, and what, where is the, what's the plan moving forward? Forward. So we're just going to kind of have a family gathering that Sunday on the 13th and just talk and you can bring your questions. Leadership team will be here to talk about the conversations we're having and we'll just be discerning where God is leading together. So uh, we just want to invite you to put that on your calendar. I think it'd be important to, to be here for the congregation, right? That your presence and your participation is one of the ways that we can lean into each other in difficult and challenging times. In fact, we're going to even be talking a little bit more about that this morning. And then the last one, and you're not going to want to miss this, Sunday, November 20th, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we are going to have another combined service with Esperanza Viva, our sister church who meets here on campus, and that is worthy of applause, right? Always fun to be together. We combine our worship teams. Uh, we do the service in English and in Spanish. And again, this Sunday uh, uh, on the 20th, Esperanza Viva is going to feed us tacos after the service over in Snelling Hall. So you won't want to miss that. Let me pray for us and uh, let's then transition into our message time for this morning. Would you pray with me? God, in the midst of the busyness of life and all of the changes that we are experiencing, not only at our church here, but in our personal lives, in our country and around the world, we recognize, God, we need you. We need your word and your spirit to give us insight and to shine a light in the midst of the dark places of our souls and the confusion that we experience when we're looking for a way forward out of uh, often the broken places of our lives. And so God, as we seek to be emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus, would you help us to understand how your word and your spirit and your presence in our lives invites us to go on a journey with Jesus that, that isn't just a stairway to heaven, but God, ultimately, if we are willing to face it, is a journey to the cross, where we can die to ourselves so that we can come alive to a whole new understanding of life in and through your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. 
As I said, we're continuing our series on emotionally healthy discipleship where we are exploring together, hopefully, a deeper way of understanding our relationship with Jesus in ways that lead us to experience genuine life transformation that we have identified, again, happens from the inside out, but then ultimately leads to a lasting impact on our relationships with others as well. Uh, The next principle that Peter Scazzaro identifies in his book that's by the same title, which is the book we're kind of taking our cues from for the series, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, is this. He describes it as the ability to discover treasures buried in grief and loss. Now, if that doesn't sound like an oxymoron, (laughs) right? But this is his challenge, the ability to discover treasures buried in grief and loss. So last week, if you've been with us for the series, we wrapped up the the last principle, which was accepting God's gift of limits in our lives, where we saw how even though we resist limits and we, we think we should be limitless, limits are often the primary ways we learn to grow in wisdom and maturity as human beings. And as we become emotionally healthy in our discipleship to Jesus, we begin to realize that accepting God's gift of limits in our lives is what drives us back to God, to recognize that in order to to fully experience life in the way that God had intended it, we we were designed to rely on Him and to, to seek His wisdom and His strength for our lives. And so today, as I said earlier, we're going to take an even deeper dive as we start to understand that we all experience loss as one of the biggest kinds of limits that we experience as human beings. And yet, I want to suggest that it is also true that it's in the midst of our deepest pain and our darkest night that God often does His deepest work within us. Now, I know this could be a heavy topic for some of us, uh, and and I I want to encourage you to to hang with me and resist the temptation to check out, because uh, sometimes when we start poking at our pain, it's easy to want to run away. And so the temptation might be to to check out, or or maybe this is a temptation that you experience uh, on Sundays sometimes. Uh, That doesn't really apply to me, right? So I, I don't really have to pay attention. To, that, that might apply to other people. Or you might even go one step further and go, oh, I know five people who really need to hear this sermon. <laughs> right? This is for them. But isn't that possibly a way of deflecting what God might be wanting to say to us in the message? Some of you may have heard of Jerry Sitzer. He's a professor emeritus of theology and a senior fellow at Whitworth University. And a number of years ago, he wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. And in the book, he tells the story of how he was driving home one day with his mother, his wife Linda, and their four children. And they were returning from a school project for two of his kids that took them to a Native American Indian reservation. And uh, on their way home, about 10 minutes into the drive, a drunk driver crossed the midline and slammed into their minivan. And in an instant, he says he lost his mother, his wife, and their four-year-old daughter. Three generations in the blink of an eye. He writes, in one moment, my family, as I had known and cherished it, was obliterated. 
And Sitzer's book is about his descent into the abyss of grief and the incomprehensible pain that he went through that ultimately changed his life forever. But he also writes in this book about the unexpected treasure that he found that was buried within his grief and loss. He says it this way, It is therefore not true that we become less through loss, unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over the loss of my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life like soil receives decaying matter until it became a part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. You see, what he discovers, he says in the book, is that the soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. And so maybe a question for us today is that as we come to worship and as we seek to be emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus, is there some experience of pain and suffering or loss that you may have experienced in your life. Maybe it was some time ago in your past, or, or maybe it was just very recently and you're in the midst of, of, of navigating that world right now, but, but, but it stands in front of you and it won't go away, like, like a mountain that you can't get over. Or maybe it feels like a locked door in your heart that, that you, you would love to break through, but, but you just can't get the door to open. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to know and perhaps discover again or maybe for the first time that God comes to us as his children in his word and through his spirit, inviting us to put our trust in him, especially in those dark, painful times. And he promises us that we will never be alone in our suffering. Listen to the words of Isaiah 45, verses 2 and 3, where God says, I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Peter Scazzaro in his book says that Jerry Sitzer discovered the painful truth that loss offers a pathway into God's mysterious way of forming us through treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places. Some losses, he says, are deeply devastating, like Jerry Sitzer's experience, or natural disasters and terror attacks like 9-11, or global pandemics, <laughs> unexpected terminal diagnoses, or the wrenching pain of having to go through a divorce. Sudden car accidents, strokes, heart attacks, or the slow and deeply painful process of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. 
But he also says that other losses come in more natural and expected ways. When we graduate from school and start to lose a sense of emotional and relational security as we're forced to move out into the responsibilities of adulthood, that might feel like a loss. Or when we move from one city to another and former friendships and networks fade away and we have to start all over again building those relationships in our lives that keep us happy and healthy and whole. Or when staff or leadership changes at your church. When our children grow up and become less dependent on us and they don't need us in the same way that they needed us before. Or what about when we grow older and begin to lose a sense of our own power and agency in the world around us. See, all of these many losses, Scazzaro says, are real and significant experiences in our lives. But he also gives us a really strong warning that he says we really need to pay attention to. And this is what he says. He says, losses that are not grieved accumulate in the soul like heavy stones that weigh us down. Losses that are not grieved accumulate in our soul like heavy stones that weigh us down. And the reality we know is that no one in this life escapes the suffering and the pain that is associated with loss. We all experience some measure of loss at some time or another, and many of us have had many experiences of loss. And so to learn to pursue a more emotionally healthy discipleship, he says in the book, we need to develop a deeper understanding as Christians of how the ability to welcome and hold our sorrow and grief before God is central to the work of discipleship. Let me say that one more time again. The ability to welcome and hold our sorrow and grief before God is central to the work of discipleship. It's not peripheral. It's not an add-on. It's the the core challenge that Jesus invites us to, to bring to Him as we come to Him as our Lord and our Savior, knowing that we need His healing and His wholeness and His restoration in our lives. But if we're honest, too often we resist grieving our losses because it feels too much like losing control. It feels like it's going to be overwhelming. It feels like it's going to be more than we can handle. It feels like if we go to that place, it's going to pull us under. And so instead, we try to minimize it, or we deflect it, or we just move quickly past it and pretend that it really wasn't all that big of a deal, or or we somehow deny that we, we have pain or sorrow altogether. And instead of learning to become emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus, we learn to distract ourselves by numbing our sorrow in myriad ways, whether it be through workaholism or through entertainment, shopping, food, (laughs) busyness, alcohol, relationships. You know, Scazzaro says that we can even seek to distract ourselves from our pain by serving in church. 
Anything, he says, can be used as long as it distracts us and redirects our attention away from whatever painful reality we might not want to face. Over time, however, he says that what happens is we develop as human beings a widespread inability within our faith community even to face and to talk about the reality of our pain which without even realizing it condemns us in our churches, he says, to a more shallow form of spirituality, which is never what God had intended. In the worst case, he says, it can even block the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in my life. But he says, if we look to the Bible, we can actually see that there are, uh, God has designed three phases that he's identified for processing grief and loss. And we're just going to work through those three things this morning. And the first one is paying attention to our pain. And that's really what we've been talking about and trying to get to at the introduction to today's message. Simply becoming aware of and paying attention to whatever we're actually feeling is a a skill that has to be developed to become an emotionally healthy person. The Bible most often calls this the process of lament. The book of Psalms is the longest book of the Bible, and while there's all kinds of varieties of psalms, do you know that over half to two-thirds of the psalms are considered psalms of lament? And Schizera suggests that we should consider that these psalms were gifted to God's people in order to teach us how to pray our emotions back to God. Because the Bible never flinches in paying attention to the reality that life can be painful and difficult, does it? Like with the psalms, the Bible teaches us to cry out to God for his comfort, for his care, and for his rescue in those difficult and dark places of life, and to wrestle with God with our natural and understandable doubts and fears and anxieties and where he is in the midst of them. Psalm 42.3 says, my tears have been my food. Day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Or 43.2, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? 88.6 and 7, you have put me in the lowest pit. In the darkest depths, your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Have you ever been there? I have. It is not a fun place to be. And some of us might be in a place like that right now today. And if so, I'm glad that you're here. Schizero says when our pain and our grief go unexpressed or unfelt, it gets buried alive but eventually they claw their way back out in the form of depression, anxiety, emptiness, and loneliness. 
And so he says learning to, to begin to listen to our feelings and to, to feel what we actually are feeling is the first step to be able to then express them to God, to pray them back to God in our relationship with him as, as a part of the beginning move to begin to allow the Spirit of God to help us navigate those difficult and painful emotions that can get us off track if, if we try and distract ourselves from them and don't take the time to actually grieve those losses. And the reality he identifies is it's not just spiritual or emotional either, is it? We often experience the tension of our pain and our sorrow through physical manifestations in our bodies of stress and anxiety, a physical tightness in our stomach or in our throats, leading to high blood pressure, a lack of energy, and a lack of motivation. Men and women, our physical lives and our emotional lives are not separate from our spiritual lives. They're all part of one life. And these can all be signs that we have emotions that we've been bottling up and holding inside and that we need to find a place of healthy expression and a safe place of trusted friends who we can talk to about what's really going on inside of us without shame and without guilt and without fear of judgment. So that we can begin to allow God to use those painful, difficult circumstances to lead us to a whole new experience of life through His Son, Jesus. You see, in working through our emotions with God, our soul begins to come alive in new ways and we begin to experience a new kind of freedom that maybe we didn't understand before and a new peace that fills our hearts that goes beyond what we thought we could comprehend before. But he says in order to pursue this kind of discipleship as a community of faith, to be a church where that, play, that kind of relationship with God is normal, requires us to learn to be able to teach others how to enter into phase two, which is to live in the waiting. He says we need to learn to wait in the confusing in-between times. Loss and grief can force us to stop and to have to wait and to discern and to, to change our plans and to say, okay, God, where are you? What are you doing? What are your plans? And yet he says this can be hard, if not impossible, in a culture that prizes busyness and noisiness and productivity and predictability and control. There is nowhere in our culture that encourages you to stop and to rest and to pay attention to your feelings and to do good self-care. Instead, they say you need to be doing more and faster and just consume and just distract yourself with all of the things of the world that, that, that can, can promise you happiness but always leave you feeling empty and disappointed. He actually says that for us in our day, learning to wait may be one of the most difficult lessons we have to learn as followers of Jesus. Yet from beginning to end, the Bible is full of stories where God is teaching his people to wait. And those waiting seasons are, are most often seasons of confusion and doubt and disorientation. 
And these are the seasons where the temptation is greatest for us to fall into despair and to lose our faith and to medicate and numb ourselves through addictive behaviors so that we can begin to avoid God and to stop speaking to God and engaging with God, thinking that somehow that's going to lead us someplace better. Waiting seasons are not easy. They're hard. When we're not sure where God is or what God is doing or what God is saying and we're not sure when the waiting will end or even if it ever will requires a deep faith and trust that God is in control and that he has your best interests at heart and though no matter what you feel, God has proven himself faithful and you can bank your trust on that history and that story and the testimony that we have that God is a God of love and faithfulness. And that's who he is. The reality is that we often feel helpless and that life has slipped out of control and we can't see what the future holds and we know that we can't go back to the past to a time when life felt more stable or more in control and so we feel stuck in the in-between time and as difficult as these seasons are in our lives and in our relationship with God, Scazzaro leads us to his most profound point I think that I read in his book that is both difficult to face and yet ultimately freeing if we're willing to accept it. And he says it this way. He says, it is in these seasons of confusion and pain and darkness that we come face to face with the cross. The cross of Christ, he says, is an experience of spiritual desolation that we more often than not would prefer to avoid. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed that God would let that cup pass from him, right? And yet it is in the cross that we see and we begin to discover the true work of God on behalf of humanity that brings the power of his love and his resurrection into the very darkness and the evil of life in this world. And so we may feel helpless and weary or empty and alone. We may be consumed by a sense of failure or defeatedness. And, and, and like I said, you may be feeling that in this moment right now. But the Bible tells us and the cross reveals to us that it's in and through these dark times that God most often works to uproot the stubbornness of our self-will, to release us from the unhealthy attachments that we have in our lives and to lead us into a deeper and a richer spiritual experience of the power of his spirit that is marked by a total dependence on him. Nah, we want fast solutions and quick fixes. That takes too long. That's too much work. That's too scary. You mean I have to give up control and I have to sit in my pain? That doesn't sound like good news. I think there's a, 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 a new episode of you know, House of the Dragon. I think I'll go watch that.
We want fast solutions. We want quick fixes. And if it doesn't come fast enough, we want to move on to the next option. We want to be able to choose and to manage and to control the experiences, the timing of our own lives. And when we can't, we either blame God or we blame other people or at worst case, we blame ourselves. And we just take it all in and say, well, what a terrible, scummy, no good person I am. And we try and live a healthy life that way. How how does that work for us? (laughs) Not very well, does it? You see, this is why I, I think Jesus knew that we would not be able to navigate these difficult and painful seasons of our lives, these dark nights of the soul, as many Christian mystics have labeled them, without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? You remember Jesus said in John 16, beginning at verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You might not be able to comprehend or understand where God is or what is God, God is doing, but, but when you bring your life to God and you share your emotions with God and the Holy Spirit shows up, he will lead you into all truth. He will reveal to you what you need to know. He will bring the healing and the peace and the freedom that you desire. He will level the mountains. He will open the doors. He will break the bars of iron to let you out of the emotional prison that you might be trapped in. And if we think back on our lives, for those of us especially who've been alive for longer than some of you young folks, most of our growth and maturity, if we're honest, spiritually and emotionally, right, have come out of the many painful and stretching and confusing seasons of our lives that God brought us through. Those in-between times when we had little to no control, where God forced us to sit and to wait and to trust in Him. And he began to reveal himself in new ways. And he brought people into our lives to bless us and to to help us and to to keep us afloat when we thought we were going to drown. When our only goal is to either deny our emotions or rush past them too quickly, we end up short-circuiting the work that God might be wanting to do in our lives. And we may go through all this pain and suffering and get no benefit out of it. But do you understand that the good news message of the Bible is that God knows we live in a broken and a fallen world. He knows that it's going to be painful, but he's a trash to treasure God. He never lets any painful experience go to waste. And so we can trust that even though in this life we know it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, God will take the momentary suffering of the few short years that we have in this life and as we sang today, we will celebrate for 10,000 years and more the way that God has taken the brokenness and the pain of this world and through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus, he has transformed into something completely new completely beautiful, completely healed, and something that we can genuinely celebrate and begin to experience now, even though we know we won't experience that fullness. Warm to church and find salvation and then become a good church member. Because those ways of doing church aren't working anymore. 
They had their season. I was saved in that church. I, I was blessed by that church. We, we all have grown up in that church. It, it's not that it was bad. It's just that that season is gone. And the world has changed. And we don't know what the world is becoming. And we don't know what the church will look like. But in the midst of our waiting and our confusion and maybe our pain, maybe we can start to grow healthy ourselves so that we can invite other people to discover the wholeness and the health that Christ has to offer them too. See, when, we're, when things are not working out the way that we had hoped and God begins to seem absence, absent, our temptation is often to rebel, either by running away from God or by trying to take control from God, right? The good news is that we have a loving Heavenly Father that knows us better than we even know ourselves. And whether we run away like the, the prodigal son or we stay and like the older brother, right, try to control the situation through anger and judgment and manipulation of people's feelings, God's invitation to both sons is to run to his open arms because he loves them both equally. When we remain faithful to God in the waiting and find that God uses these painful and difficult experiences to birth something completely new in us that we never could have expected or imagined, and maybe to birth something new in our church that maybe we never could have expected or imagined, we discover that with God there's always treasure buried in the midst of our grief and our loss. And this is the third and the final phase as we wrap up this morning of how God invites us to process our grief and loss. We allow the old to give birth to the new. Do you understand that this third phase is a reflection of the core truth of our Christian faith? The death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross is the defining principle that shapes our life together as Christian community, or at least it should. It's the only thing that enables us to affirm that our own losses and our own pain and our own endings are gateways to God's new thing that he wants to do in our lives. Our losses are real. Our pain is heavy and difficult, but so is the resurrection that God brings into our losses. Scazzaro says, all of our losses and disappointments in life are like many small deaths that can eat away at the center of our souls. But God invites us in Jesus to entrust these emotionally painful experiences to him, knowing that he alone has the power to bring life out of death. Amen? In John 12, 24, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. In our relationship to Jesus, it is as we follow him to the cross that we learn from him how to grow in and through the painful experiences of our lives. And as we do, Jesus says that we will see the rich fruit of God's compassion and understanding flow from us to the world around us. I want to invite the worship team to come back up and join me on the platform. As they're coming, I just want to call out that next week we're going to explore some of the kinds of treasure that we can find buried in the midst of our grief and loss and begin to see how, as Jesus' disciples, the real mark of our maturity in Him is ultimately faith 
working itself out in love. But as we wrap up today, earlier I asked if there was some experience of pain or suffering that you've had, some loss that you've experienced, maybe something from your past or something recently that stands in front of you like a mountain that you can't get over or like a locked door in your heart that you can't open. Maybe for you today, it's a, an experience that God wants to enter into and begin to do a work in you that you can do in no other way than that you lift that pain before him and let the Spirit lead you. Whichever it may be for you, I want to invite you to take a few minutes now and pay attention to your feelings. What's going on inside of you? Hold those feelings up before God and let's just take a moment of silence, a a time of prayerful reflection and allow God to be the one who puts the period at the end of the sentence for us today. And so as we close, I want to invite you to receive the words of Isaiah 45 verses 2 and 3 again as God's word to you today. And then we'll take a, 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 just a brief moment of silence to reflect, and then the worship team will close us out with our closing music. If you'd like to close your eyes, you can. If you'd like to raise a hand as a sign of receiving God's blessing, do, do what works for you. God says, I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name.